20. Genesis chapter 20. I'm going to read it. And then we're going to make some comments on it and draw some implications for our lives. All right. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. Now, I want, I want to make a few comments along the way to just to, because everybody's not here every Sunday, and we're moving through a passage of Scripture, and, uh, and so there's a story, and so we need to situate ourselves in the story. All right, Abraham, of course, is, is the most prominent figure of, uh, of, the, of the second part uh, of Genesis, and that's true because it's through Abraham and through his offspring, through his family, that God is going to bring a Savior into the world. And that makes Abraham a, a, a key figure in the Bible. See, the Bible works out from, from the particular to the, to the universal. God starts with an individual, and then that individual becomes a family, and then that family becomes a nation. And then that nation produces a person named Jesus who is our Savior. And then Jesus says salvation is for the world. All right, so we're in the beginning here. We're in the beginning of this, of this very important story. And this story, uh, and many of these stories, all of these stories, in, in fact, illustrate the fact that even the best people have, have, have terrible faults and blackness in their hearts and need to be saved. Abraham also, it's important to keep in mind that Abraham is a sojourner. He's, he's mobile. He's not stationary. And I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking, I'm talking to people, some of you who, who, who grew up here. You've lived your whole lives here. You've never known what it is to move from one location to another. Many, many people. Isn't that true of many people here? But you can understand what it's like, though, right? What it's like to move from one place to another. That's, that was Abraham's life. It's not, that you, it's, not, it's not that anybody in the room can't understand that, but you might have to make an effort to understand the life of Abraham. Just his earthly life, his earthly existence. He couldn't stay in one place. He had to move. He had flocks and herds that needed to eat. And God uprooted him and put him in a place, and he said, live in that place in tents so that whenever it's necessary, you can pull up the stakes and move to a new place. In and of itself, that has challenges. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev, and he lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. Now, sojourn means that he lived as an alien in a strange place. He lived as an alien in a strange place. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She's my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. 
But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. I just want to say, kind of comforting to have God on your side, isn't it? Now, Abimelech had not approached her. So, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. Notice there's no innocence of your hands here. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me, therefore I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for, she, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all that are yours. So Abimelech rose, rose early in the morning and he called all his servants and he told them all these things and the men were very much afraid. Now, there's a reason I read it that way. The men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. Now understand that adultery in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, is in all of the law codes. Not just the law codes of, of, of Israel. Not just in the Mosaic legislation. But in all, in, in, I don't know if you've ever heard of Hammurabi's law code, the ancient king of, of Babylon. It was in his law code. It was in the Assyrian law codes. Adultery was a no-no. It was, it was a source of great chaos to the ancient Near Eastern mind and the ancient Near Eastern morality. Okay, So that would explain why this Abimelech, this king, was, was, was so afraid. He was afraid of being held accountable for something that he knew was, in his heart, he knew was wrong. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Why would you bring on me these problems? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Now I know it's hard on a Sunday to be awake and alert. But I hope you caught that. Besides, she indeed is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Now, if you've been following along in the story, you know what's at stake here. 
Ultim ultimately, what's at stake is my eternal salvation. I, I, I hope you see that. Because your eternal salvation is at stake as well. You see, God, Abraham put God's promise in jeopardy. Because of this instinct of self-preservation. He put the very promise of God in jeopardy. Aren't you glad God is God? Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my, Behold, my land is before you dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated. A thousand pieces of silver, listen. That was 167 years worth of daily wage. Then Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech, and he also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Let's pray, but we're not done. We've got a few things to say. Father, we thank you for your word, and, and we thank you for speaking to us through it, revealing yourself to us, because we need to know you. Because on our own, without your help, We're in trouble. Speak to our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. In the little town I grew up in, um, I'm being a little sarcastic here, but there are two sides to the street. In front of the high school that I attended, the Jags, occupied that side of the street. A jag was the kid who defiantly stood across from the high school and smoked cigarettes. Defiantly. They were the modern-day thugs. They were on one side of the street. On the other side of the street were all those who were afraid of the thugs. We also had another category in our high school. It was called jocks. You, you know what that is. I don't have to describe that to you. We had the jocks and the jags. The athletes, the popular kids, you know, the, the privileged, and then the, the thugs. Well, see, now, now fear. I want you to think about fear. Fear will keep you on the right side of the street, won't it? They were thugs. 
I always walked on the other side of the street. I had a friend who dared to walk on, the, on, on their side of the street, the side of the street of the Jags one day. And he came to school with his mouth bloodied. You see, fear can keep you on the right side of the street. But fear can also put you in places where you don't want to be and cause you to make decisions that you don't want to make. What's happening in this chapter, at the beginning of the chapter, is that Abraham is a man with mobile assets. In other words, he has flocks and herds that need, to need grazing land. And, and once grazing land is used up and all the wells in a particular area are used up, he has to move his herds and flocks to another area and, and set up his tent there. Well, if, you know, if, if, if you don't move, there's, there's danger, right? There's a, there's a long-term sense of, 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 of danger. You know, if, if, you, if you don't move and you don't find grazing land and you don't find water, then the long-term consequences are, are death. Right? Death. It's long-term, but it's still a legitimate reason to be afraid. Let's put it this way. I was talking to somebody at Hoyt's the other day, and uh, because I'm very interested in, in your lives, I, you know, I just, I, wanna, I, I talk to people about stuff, and I want to get a sense of, of, of life here. It, it, it's kind of like, like the way that you feel and what compels you to move from cotton and potatoes to almonds and pistachios. Right? It's not, a, it's, not the, it's not the kind of fear that's just staring you in the face right here, but, it, but it's, but it's a, a concern for your long-term well-being. Does, it, does that make sense? That's what was happening with, with, with Abraham. That it was this, it was this, man, I gotta keep moving. But 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 here's the problem, and here's where the danger becomes more imminent, more right there, staring at his face, right there in front of him. See, he's forced to move. But where wherever he moves, the property that he moves to, even though it's been promised to him by God in the future and to his children in the future and to the nation that's going to that's going to come from Abraham in the future at the present time it doesn't belong to him and so wherever he goes he's within the jurisdiction of a of a of a human ruler he goes to the jurisdiction and and then into the realm of Abimelech And Abimelech's the kind of guy who takes what he wants. And you don't argue with him because he's the one with the army. He's the one in charge. 
And so Abraham, Abraham has, has come up with this scheme, this, this, this lie. Yeah, it's a half-truth, but a half-truth is a whole lie. He comes up with this lie because he has this, this instinct that we all have. He wants to live. This instinct of self-preservation. It's the kind of thing that you, that you feel when you sit down to a test, to sit down to take a test, and you, and you don't know the answers, and your temptation is to, is, to, is to look to find them somewhere. Or to cheat on your taxes. Or to do whatever it takes, not just to, not just to preserve your life, but to preserve, but to preserve your, your, your idea of, of, of what the good life is. Does that make sense? Do you see what Abraham is up against? Do you see why he's afraid? And do you see why he's more like Lot than he is like Jesus at this point? Morally compromised. Because it's so easy to give in. Because that's what fear, the wrong kind of fear can do. You know, the wrong kind of fear can make me the kind of preacher that you just love. The kind of preacher that just says everything that your ears that are just dying to be tickled want to hear. The fear of human beings, oh, is so, so, so strong. So strong. It will make us do things that, well, ultimately we're regret doing. Right? Do you guys see that? You see what's happening here? You see what's driving this man at this point? From there, Abraham journeyed toward the, in, the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. He, and he was under the jurisdiction of an unfriendly, ruthless leader. And Abraham used this scheme. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, took, sent and took Sarah. And, 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 and you don't have to read. Reading between the lines, we know what's going to happen here, right? This is, this is part of his harem. And, and God shows up. And I, and I just, I, I want you to use your imagination here R relative to your own life. Not just your imagination, but your, but, 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 but draw on your, on your, on your memory banks. God comes. And in an indescribable, incomprehensible, it utterly amazes me the mercy of God. 
in God's incredible mercy, he acts on behalf of a liar. Because he's promised to bless him. And probably because he knows that this liar will eventually get it. How many times have you been saved from your own stupidity? How about how many times have you been saved from your own baseless fear? Why do I say baseless fear? Because look, look at what happens. God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, <laughs> let's, let's rephrase it a little bit, okay? Because we can. Because we know the Bible. I control life and death. This is God. I control life and death. You have life now. But if you don't do what I tell you, you won't have life. Because I control life. And I control death. You're a dead man because of the woman you've taken, for she is another man's wife. Now, Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? That's interesting, because Abraham used the same question before. In, an, in a previous chapter, used the same question before. Abimelech and Abraham aren't all that different. Understand that. Uh, please understand that. Look around the room. You see good people? Look around the room. You see good people. How many of you see a good person in the room? Can we, can we elect the best person in the room? Let's elect the best person in the room, okay? Can we have some nominees for the best person in the room? Don't you dare do that. Don't you dare do that. Because even the best person in the room was dead before they met Christ. Even the best person in the room had a blackened heart before Christ came with His light. And even the best person in the room still struggles with sin. It's hard to believe that Mary Ellen Rexius struggles with sin, but I know that she does. She's just really good at hiding it. We're all the same. That's why, God, that's why God didn't agree with Abimelech about his innocent hands. He said, I know you did this in your ignorance. I know you did this in the integrity of your heart. But you certainly didn't do this because you're an innocent man. You see, sometimes it's what the Bible leaves out that's so, that communicates so strongly. 
But Abimelech and God had this conversation. Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother, in the integrity of your heart, and the innocent of my hands, I have done this. But God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. I did not let you. I, God said, I did not let you touch her. How often, how often do, you, do, do, you, do you just sit and, 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 and with your own thoughts think, God, how involved are you? in this world how involved are you in my life what does this text tell you it tells you that even if you don't realize it he's pretty involved working behind the scenes that invisible hand of providence man if i didn't believe that i think i'd kill myself i really do I know that God's working. I know that He is. I know that He is. Because this is not an isolated text. I mean, there's not just one of these texts. God is intimately, thoroughly involved in what happens in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Even those who are trying to hurt us. And there are some of those. I didn't let you touch her. Now then return to man's wife, for he's a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. Now, see, God, only God can say that. Only God can guarantee you you're going to live. <laughs> right? Only God can say that. I mean, even if there was a conspiracy among Abimelech's servants to kill him, they wouldn't have been able to do it because God said, you'll live. If you do this, you'll live. So he's going to live at least a little longer because God said so. Because, listen, here's the bottom line, okay? I'm not going to stop because this is the bottom line. But here's the bottom line. You don't have anything to fear. God controls life and death. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And all the men were very much afraid. Remember how I read that? Very much afraid. I said it many times. Very much afraid. Very much afraid. Yeah, remember that. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done? How have I sinned against you? You have brought on me my kingdom, this great sin. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What's in your heart? What did you see? What did you perceive? that made you do this thing, Abraham said, I did it because there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Oh, talk about a guy being exposed. Have you made the connection yet? There was all kinds of fear of God in this place. There was all kinds of fear of God in this place because of God, what God was doing. Abimelech related this story and all his servants were very much afraid. Why? 
Because God made sure that there was the fear of God in this place so that through that he could protect his servant. I hope you see it. God's working for us even when we don't realize it. I thought there's no fear of God in this place. And there's fear of God all over this place. I thought you'd kill me. But God came to Abimelech and said he'd kill him. God had no intention of letting Abraham die. God had no intention of allowing Sarah to be violated by another person, risking the promise. And after all this, all this mercy, Abraham, who's a rich man, gets even richer. What does that tell you about riches? If you're a rich person, and we all are, comparatively speaking, is it because of our morality? Is it because we're especially good, better than most? Our wealth has little to do with our morality. Oh yeah, I mean, there are generalizations in Proverbs. But there are many exceptions. And look at what happens at the end. To reinforce the point, God opens the wounds. Who controls life and death? God does. So Paul writes in Romans, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Could nakedness, peril, sword, all of these, all of these threats, all of these negative things, can they separate us? From the love of Christ now. If God is for us, who can be against us? So the question is after a text like this, what are we afraid of? If God is for us, who can be against us? We can live as, as, as Christian people with integrity of heart. And with innocent hands. Because we can trust God. He's the author of life and He's the author of death. He can be trusted. He's got our back. We don't have to lie, we don't have to lie to get ahead. We don't have to lie. God's got our back. (laughs) 
God is not only responsible for our earthly life, but he's also responsible for giving us eternal life. And we know how he did that. He sent his son, Jesus. And every month we celebrate that, just like he told us to, with communion, with the Lord's Supper. And we want to do that now. And before we do, um, I want to I want to do it right. I want to do it like it's supposed to be done. Okay? And that means a little bit of self-reflection. When, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul talked about communion, he talked about it in the context of, of the abuse of this important ordinance that Jesus gave us. And some were abusing the body and the blood of Christ among the Corinthian people. And Paul made the connection between some of the problems that were happening in Corinth among the Christian people and their abuses of the Lord's Supper, communion. And so he told them, before you take this, before you participate in this, examine yourselves. I mean, what is the nature of your relationship to Jesus Christ? Are you living out of this, this, this depth of gratitude that He saved your life? That He's given you hope? That He's promised you help? Are you living for Him and for His glory? And for his honor. Are you living thankful to him for all that he's done? Or have you marginalized him? Kept him out here on the periphery, on the margin, and said, Come with me to church so that everything looks good. And then when we leave, you can go back out here and stay. I'll call you when I need you. No. That's not Christianity. I don't know what it is, but it's not Christianity. So if there's any inclination in your heart that you're pushing him away. Confess it. It doesn't require an elaborate or eloquent speech. This is something that's sincere.
spirit-led. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I haven't lived for you like I should. Because I haven't opened myself up to you like I should. Because I've forgotten what you did for me. And I've forgotten how much you love me. I'm sorry because I've been more afraid of people and their disapproval than I've been grateful for you and your approval in Christ. <coughs> Forgive me, Lord, because your interests your values, your passion. It isn't what I've been about. I've been more focused on my own personal agenda. More inclined to act for myself. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for those sins. For taking away the guilt that those sins bring. Taking it away. And the condemnation that I deserve because of my sin and because of my guilt. Thank you for renewal. For a fresh start. For a new opportunity. Thank you for forgiveness. And the freedom and liberation that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would the men who are...